0: Good morning. Uh, my name is Justin Crow. I'm one of the elders here. Uh, sometimes I am called on to preach. It is not every week. And sometimes I get longer than 36 hours to prepare of what I'm going to say. Second Timothy 4.2 says, Preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Steve Stewart reminded me of that this morning. I'm not sure that's what this means, but it's what it means today. So, um... Stylistically, we may look a little different, uh, but at the end of the day, I hope everyone leaves here understanding, uh, man, we just want to worship Jesus, and we just want to make much of Him, and if we sound good when we're singing, awesome. If we don't, awesome. It, it, God's Word will proclaim itself. Uh, I'm going to read a lot of Scripture today. Um, I jokingly text Eric and Todd yesterday, and I said, maybe I should procrastinate till Saturday every week because it makes me rely on God's Word more and I'm only kind of joking. Um, I was joking, but it was very convicting because I don't rely on God's Word enough and I rely on what I've thought about or what I've read this week or what sermons I've listened to or things like that. So there's lots of Scripture today. Um, but again, just like I said last week, we uh, we believe in the sufficiency of Scripture to proclaim itself and to preach itself. So thank you for that. Also... Um, uh, continue to pray for Eric, Laura, Ava, and Cash, uh, and really the, the Hazel Baker Spencer clan, the whole, the whole clan. Um, Cash uh, is near and dear to a lot of us. He's really near and dear to that family. Um, and they've all pitched in and, and sacrificed over the years. And man, we just, at the end of the day, they just want answers to try to help better care for Cash. Uh, and that's what they're shooting for today. And I also want to say, um, what a privilege it is to serve under a pastor who says family comes first that being a Christian is first being a husband is second being a daddy is third and being a pastor is fourth or farther down the list in our list of identity and then when it, the rubber came to meeting the road he went and did what he was supposed to do uh, he went to be a husband and he went to be a daddy uh, and he trusts that God can be praised and Jesus can be worshipped here without him Um Because that's where he needed to do. He hated making the decision, but he made the right one. So I just want to publicly say, and if that's on recording, thank you, Pastor Eric, for um, showing us with your actions what you preach. All right. Um, Today we're going to continue through 1 Timothy as Trevor just read. Um, We see Paul continue to exhort Timothy here as he has been called to pastor the church of Ephesus. Um, We see him here uh, talking about. waging the good warfare, okay? So we read stories, and, and by we, Todd Crosby and Chris Dindy read stories about people like Martin Luther, John Calvin. Uh, we hear names like John Knox. If you've been in the Behold Your God MCs, you, you've learned about him over the last couple of weeks. We hear names like Zwingli, Schaefer, Bonhoeffer in, in history, and the only reason we know those men's names, some of you don't know all of them. That's okay, I had to Google as well. But In 2019, the only reason we know their names is because they did this. Because they were willing to give their lives to this good warfare. They were unwilling to stand by and let the government, let the church, let authorities, let someone else say that God's Word was saying something it was not saying. They refused to allow that to happen. They were willing to give their lives for the truth. And they were unwilling to... To do what Timothy has, or Paul has just warned Timothy in a few verses above, and letting people teach whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Paul is saying we we can't allow that to happen. And men like that we just named do this. But these men of history did nothing new. This battle has been waged from well before they existed, and it will be continued to wage well after. As long as there are sinful humans on the earth, there will be always will be a battle for truth. We must recognize the importance of fighting for and defending the gospel in both truth and practice. We always joke about a sermon in a sentence. That's it right there. That's what this text is talking about. That's what we will talk about today. We must recognize the importance of fighting for and defending the gospel in both truth and practice. Word and deed. This is an individual fight in our own hearts, and our own minds. This is a fight you, you absolutely have to engage in on your own. No one can do that for you. You have to wage this fight in your own heart and in your own mind. But it is also a corporate fight. It is also your family can help you fight. Your church family can help you fight this fight. That is what community is for. That is what the church is for. That is what all of these things are for. But false teachers are everywhere. Tonight, during the Super Bowl, watch the commercials. They're discipling you. They are brainwashing you if you allow them to. They are telling you what to think. They are telling you what to feel. Commercials, social media, all of those things. But also, in this fight on the other side, are people claiming to be Christians, claiming to be teachers of God's Word, claiming to be believers. We must defend the Gospel in truth and practice. We must know the Gospel. Remember, Paul has just laid this out. Christ Jesus came to save sinners. This is what we talked about last week. That is the Gospel. Everyone is a sinner. They need a Savior. Someone must intervene. Christ intervened. Christ came to save sinners. Christ did this. That's the Gospel. But this reiterates this battle for truth that is ongoing all the time. No matter what you are taking into your mind, there's a battle. Even if you're taking in good things, you're engaging in the battle. Or you're taking in bad things, you're engaging in the battle. This fight is ongoing. It never stops. And this reiterates the importance of knowing the Word. Not being easily fooled and believing twisted versions of the Gospel. We just went through the book of Ephesians over this past year or more. And Ephesians 4, 11 through 14 We see a similar warning. It says, And He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. We must know the gospel. We must believe the gospel wholeheartedly. We must trust the gospel. We must proclaim the gospel. We must fight for the gospel. We must defend the gospel. And by defending it, we talked about last week, letting it defend itself. It's just knowing the truth. That is what we mean by defending it. Knowing the truth, proclaiming the truth, telling someone they're not being truthful when they say that they are. We will get into that. But here Paul is calling Timothy not to stop there. He's charging Timothy to do these things but to wage the good warfare. Now, without getting political here, because we don't do that, there have been many, many wars fought over many reasons. Did a little Google magic this week. There's a thing called the Pig War. It was a standoff between U.S. and British forces because somebody shot, I didn't know you could do this, shot a pig, right? The pastry war was fought 10 years after Mexicans ransacked a Frenchman's pastry cafe. Get this, the war didn't go on for 10 years. The guy that had his pastry cafe ransacked sent a letter to the king saying, hey, I need, I need compensation for this because they just took all my stuff. 10 years it sat on the king's desk he finally read it 10 years later and then tried to wage war over what he had just read 10 years after it had happened. There are wars between the Greeks and the Bulgarians because a man chased his dog who had gotten loose over the border and he got shot. Luckily, that will never happen to me because I don't chase my dog. Just if You want to go, go. Uh, cod wars over fish and the war of Jenkins' ear, which is, you guessed it, over a man named Jenkins and his missing ear. Okay, I read about these on the internet. So they're true, okay? Just so you know. Lots of wars. Lots of reasons to fight. Most of them not good ones. They're fought over trivial things. They're fought over things that at the end of the day, whoever wins, it doesn't matter. Because here's the thing. I read about some of those things. I kind of got sucked in actually. It's one of those things. Read about some of those wars. I don't really even know who won any of them. Because nobody cares about that. Nobody cares who won the pig war. I don't even know what happened to the pig. I hope they ate it, because bacon is good. But that is not... That, it doesn't even matter at the end of the day what happened. But not this fight. This fight matters. This battle matters. This war matters. Paul says, no, this, one is, this one's worth it. This one is worth fighting. This is the good warfare. See, at the end of this letter, you will see this command echoed. Chapter 6. Verses 11 through 13. It says, As for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession. This battle for truth has been waging since the beginning. This has been Genesis 3. Since the beginning, you see this very same fight. We see God give clear and direct commands. There's no gray area to those commands. Clear and direct commands. You see human beings enticed to disobey those commands. Then you see Satan come in in the version of a serpent and twist the very words of God. You see, the serpent doesn't come in denouncing God's words. Oh no, he, that's not that's not at all true. No, no, no. He, he just asks questions. He just says, Did he, is that really what he said? Is that, is that really what he meant did he really say that and here's the thing guys the devil is not smart enough to even come up with a new plan or he hasn't been forced to because it keeps working this is the same tactic he continues to use he just continues to spread doubt did God really say that did, did are you sure God's views haven't changed on that that's the big one we get in today's culture yeah that's what God used to say but that's not what God says now God is more enlightened, as if God has learned something along with us. They simply spread this doubt. Or, my favorite, is that's just not what that really means. Even though when it's direct. Do not steal. That's not really what that means. That's not. Now, nah. give generously. Mm, yeah, well, but that's not what. Love God, love people. Here, yeah, but Not all people, right? Like, there's some people we are allowed to hate and not like and not love, right? There, like, not all people. No, no, no. God means what God means. This is the tactic, though. The devil devil is basically a one-trick pony. It's just, we just keep falling for the one trick. So he's like, well, whatever works, I'll keep doing that. I'll keep spreading this doubt. But what really allows this to happen? What really allowed it to happen in the garden is the same thing that really allows it to happen now. It's passivity. It's not engaging in this good fight. It's Letting it just come to us and not doing anything about it. What did you? See, what do we see in the garden? Eve is talking to the serpent, and it says Adam was right there with her. What should he have done? Engaged in the good warfare and ripped the head off the snake, and then we wouldn't be in this mess. We would have somebody else would have messed it up. But he should have engaged in the good warfare there. But he passively just stood there and let his wife the the only husbands the only perfect wife to ever live second place is over in this general area over here but the only perfect woman to ever live committed spiritual suicide right in front of his eyes and he said nothing about it he did nothing about it he passively let her jump off the cliff and then jumped off with her this underlies the importance of knowing god's word knowing what god has said He failed to wage the good warfare. And too many times we do the same thing. This reiterates to us, if we are not standing on the infallible, inerrant, unchanging Word of the Most High God, then we will not be standing long. Our feelings are changing. Our feelings lie to us. The world is too crafty. Satan is too sly. Culture is too clever. And we will fall for those tactics over and over, and over again, if we are not standing on something that stands the test of time, that stands firm, the only thing that fits that category is God's Word. This command is found all over Scripture for us to know, to fight for, and defend this truth. 2 Timothy 1, 13-14 Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith. In the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Jude chapter 1, verse 3. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Contend for the truth that is not changed since the beginning. Contend for the truth the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Hebrews 13, 7-9 Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the Word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods. 2 Timothy 4, 2-4 through We've already talked about this once, but Preach the Word, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure... Pause. Listen to this and then think about America. A time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears they will accumulate for themselves. Teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths." These are an apt description of what we see in culture today. It's not just America, but I feel like we're leading the charge. This is the battle. But even sadder than the fact that the culture is turning this way, because it is sad. Just look at the news. It is sad what people will cling to as truth for right now, but next week, who knows if that's what social media is going to tell them to believe, or the media, or whatever. But even sadder than that is how too many times this describes what is happening in so-called churches. They put on a facade that they are preaching the truth, but they are being swayed by social media and or the media just as much as any given person on the street. They put on the facade that they are a biblical church, but really they're one that Is full of people with itching ears that are accumulating for themselves teachers that will teach them what they already believe to suit their own passions. I can name some of these churches. Some of them I can drive to in about 10 minutes. Now I'm not going to name them because that's not my place. But from the outside, they look like they're doing what God has called them to do. It looks like they're preaching the Word until you really start listening to what they have to say. They decide what is true. Then they twist Scripture to agree with that instead of twisting what they believe to agree with what God's Word says because this doesn't change our feelings, our truth does all the time. We cannot decide what is true and then come to this to make it say what we already believe is true. It must be the other way around. This is true. If I feel like it's not, then why am I feeling that way? And how do I twist what I believe to add up, to make it more biblical. Paul is warning Timothy here that he cannot be, he cannot remain passive in this fight. He must speak up. He must call sin, sin. He must stand upon the truth of God's word. He must let the chips fall where they may in regards to church growth, baptisms, conversions, budgets, buildings, all of those things. He must first and foremost stand upon the truth. If you grow, great. If you don't, great, if you're seven years in and you're meeting in the school gym, awesome, keep preaching the truth. You don't have a worship leader that's full-time? Keep preaching the truth. Because here's the thing, we could do some changes and we'd have a worship leader in about two weeks. Make some changes to the budget, make some changes to what we preach, more people would come, more money would come, we could pay him, blah, blah, blah. But we want to preach the truth. We want to preach God's Word for what God's Word says. And if that means some of y'all leave, we don't want you to. But we can't change what God's Word says. If that means more people won't come, we want more people to come so they can hear what God's Word says. But if they're coming and not hearing what God's Word says, what have we really accomplished? We must stand upon the truth. And we are going to continue to do that here at Mission Church. If not, I won't be here. Because this is more important. So we see Paul. State this in the first half of verse 19. Reading the end of 18 again, it says, Wage the good warfare, holding faith, so that's the truth. You can't have faith without truth. Holding faith, our faith must be rooted there. But then he goes on to say, And a good conscience. Simply put, this means practice. So you got faith, truth, and practice good conscience. Okay? So this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where obedience actually matters. It's where faith and obedience meet. You can't have one without the other. true, True faith will lead to obedience. So we must fight the good fight of faith in both word and deed, in knowledge and action, in belief and behavior, understanding that belief always leads to behavior. We must know what we are fighting for and then live out that fight daily. See, there are many people that could win an intellectual theological debate with lots of people on the planet. Because they know the words of Scripture. And they know how to win the debate. They know, they know how to argue this point or argue that point or any of those things. And yet, they're not living out any of the things they're convincing the person they're debating of. They're not going out and doing any of this. They just know how to win a debate. We cannot be in that category of believer. Those who know the Word but don't live the Word. We must be hearers and doers of the Word. This charge is for every believer. This text was written to a pastor, but it is not written just for pastors. Every person must engage in this fight. Every person must be a hearer and a doer. Galatians 5, 16 and 17. It says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. James 1.22-25 But be doers of the Word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and at once forgets what he was like but the one who looks into perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be a blessing in his doing. You know what a mirror is good for? Being a mirror. It is not good for being a razor. Although you could break... Okay, It's not good for being a washcloth. So don't look in the mirror and go, hey, my face is dirty. That's not what it's for. It's so that you will know what to do my face is dirty, then go wash your face. And I'm not referencing that book. Go wash your face. Okay? Don't go, yep, face is dirty. Don't care. Not doing anything about it. Read God's Word and then do what God's Word says. It's pretty simple. Maybe I don't need all that much time to prepare a sermon. Read God's Word. Do what God's Word says. Sit down. Let's take up an offering. This means so many different things, though, to fight for a good conscience. To start, this means we cannot make little compromises to our conference. consciences to our beliefs to our morals to what god's word says knowing god's word is the first step knowing right and in knowing right from wrong but when we begin begin making even the smallest compromises we are in danger of shipwrecking just like we see here in timothy john calvin says that a bad conscience is the mother of all heresies to me not spoken to john calvin about this this to me means we start making small compromises to our consciences to make ourselves feel better, because nobody likes walking around with a bad conscience or a guilty conscience. So to get back to a guiltless conscience, instead of just changing what we do, we change what we think or what we feel or we change what God's word says in our own heads to make us feel better about what we're already doing. I'm not going to stop doing this. So maybe I'll just find a loophole. Okay, there's that's not how this works. We can't justify. We see this all the time. We see people justifying the most heinous things, right? And we go, how in the world could they possibly see the world that way? And then you, if you could somehow track their life, that's how. They made a small compromise here, small compromise there, small compromise here. They didn't just jump from one end to the other most of the time. And that's what will happen to us. We make these small compromises and then we end up and we think, how did I get here? How, how am I here in this moment? And then you trace it back and it's small compromise after small compromise. You didn't just jump into the deep end of the pool usually. A good conscience must mean that we live out what we read in God's Word. We must be hearers and doers. A good conscience also means we must be willing to confess and repent. So when we mess that up, we're trying to do it, but we mess it up. We must be willing to confess and repent. James 5.16 Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. So right now we're going to ask people to come up and confess their sins. I'm just kidding, we're not doing that. But you've got to have somebody. You've got to be able to talk to somebody. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His Word is not in us. No one here would say they have not sinned and yet there's no confession and repentance in their life. So they're saying they haven't sinned because they have no need for confession and repentance. And God is saying that the truth is not in you. You make God to be a liar when you act like you've not sinned. Be transparent. Again, we're not going to call you up to the front of the church, but this is be transparent with someone. Someone needs to know what's going on in your life so they can talk to you about it, ask you about it, and hear, pray about it. And then God is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins if you confess and repent. He is never going to go, oh, thank you for your true confession and true repentance. I'm not going to forgive that. That never happens and it never will. He is faithful and He is just because we have an immutable God. If you're in Behold Your God, we have an unchangeable God. And He has said, if you do these things, I will forgive you. Therefore, if you do these things, He's going to forgive you. We must form good consciences. consciences that is such a hard word to say. By first living as a, a, a holy life as we possibly can. So attempting every day to look more like Jesus. I use this all the time. I want to look more like Jesus today than I did yesterday. But I want to look more like Jesus tomorrow than I do today. That's the goal. Should be the goal of every person in this room if you claim to be a believer. Attempting to look more and more and more like Jesus. That's first. We must retain a good conscience. Secondly, by being honest when we fail to do so. Confession is half the battle. Which knowing is also half the battle. And if you got that G.I. Joe reference, your childhood was awesome Adam York thank you got one amen out there we must confess and repent you can't if you just go around confessing all the time one people are going to stop talking to you because be like hey I, I've, I've heard that before you're not doing anything about it they're going to stop wanting to hear the confession okay but if you just go around confessing yeah man did this but you have no repentance and no attempt at trying to change You're only doing half of what God has called us to do. This becomes easier to do. This is the thing. Much easier to do when you are surrounded by people who are also doing it. You can look around this room and see people that you know they are trying to live a godly life. Are they perfect? No one in this room. But are they trying? Lots of people in this room. Lots and lots of people in this room are trying their best to live a godly life as possible. But by the same token, I can name people in this room I've had conversations with of confession and repentance. You're surrounded by a bunch of sinners so you don't have to put on a facade. You don't have to play games here. We're all sinners. We all know that. We all mess this up. But when you're surrounded by a bunch of sinners who aren't okay with sinning and cling to the grace of Jesus daily, it makes it easier for you to do that. Makes it easier for you to be honest because you're surrounded by other honest people. And if you're not surrounded by other honest people, start being honest so maybe that will rub off. We say it all the, all the time at mission. It is okay to not be okay as long as you're not okay remaining not okay. It's a lot of okays, I get it. But that's what we're saying. We will always, always, always call you to a more obedient life. I'm even calling Todd Crosby, who I don't even know what sin he commits. He claims that he does. not sure what they are. But he says, I'm a sinner, and I'm not sure what he does. I'll talk to Leanne later. She'll give me a list alphabetically. Oh, oh, these are the ones. But even that, we are calling him to a more obedient lifestyle. Every person in this room, I don't care who you are or how obedient you think you are, be more obedient tomorrow in specific ways. Now I can't I don't know all the specifics of every person in here. Some of you I do, some of you I don't. Someone needs to know the specifics so that they can specifically call you to more obedience in that way in the days to come, in the weeks to come, in the months to come, in the years to come. We are called to a higher calling because Christ paid our debts. Obedience is a requirement, not so that we get saved, but because we have been saved, because our salvation has been purchased. Our debt has been paid. We are called then to obey Christ. We are called to obedience because it is already finished. We are called to sound doctrine because the truth of the cross and resurrection. This is why we cling to the truth. This is why we strive for perfection. When we are more and more acquainted with the truth, when we are more and more acquainted with God, the God of Scripture, the Christ of Scripture, not some conjuring up we made up, not some false version. When we are more and more acquainted with the truth of God's Word, with the truth of who God is, with the character and nature of Jesus, it will lead us to strive to be more and more perfect, to be more and more holy. And that's what Scripture calls us to do. 1 Peter 1, 13-16, it says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children... Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. Raise your hand if you feel holy in here. No one, no one feels holy, but we have to strive to be as holy as we can, to be as obedient as we can, understanding that in the ways there are gaps in that, so we're not perfectly holy, Jesus is holy. Jesus is perfect. His righteousness is now imputed to you, so therefore you are holy even when you're not holy in your actions. Perfect in your actions. You are still a sinner. You are still sinning, but holy because of Christ. So briefly, and I actually do mean that this time, briefly, let's look at the six things in this text in 1, Tim, that, in 1 Timothy that reveals how to fight this good warfare, good warfare. Now, I know you're thinking six. Oh no. We are going to be here all day. One, they're brief. Okay? Being honest this time. Two, two of them have already been covered. Okay? So, here are the things six things that this text in 1 Timothy tells us. One, we must be accountable. Yes, to God, but also to others. Godly accountability is a must. We see this in the text as Paul, who's not at this church, exhorting Timothy, who is at this church. Timothy is submitting to Paul's authority. Timothy is accountable to Paul. He is not a lone wolf trying to make this out on his own, trying to figure this out and do it all his way. We all need this. We need someone who will rebuke us when we need rebuking, encourage us when we need encouraging. I call this the hug or the kick in the pants. you got to have somebody that knows you well enough to know when you need a hug and when you need a kick in the pants. Or kick somewhere else. There are kids in here. Right? So there are... When you surround yourselves, though, with people that just tell you what you want to hear all the time, this is the itching ear syndrome. We can't do that. We cannot surround ourselves with people that are just going to be, yeah, yeah no, it's okay. No, I'm not, I don't want to offend you. So, yeah, just try to do better. No. You need somebody to say, no, 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 that that's not going to fly here. That's sinful, and you got to make a change. I will help you make that change. I will lead you back to God's Word. I will help you... Experience God's grace more, but I'm going to tell you that was sinful. I'm not going to tell you it's okay and tolerated. We must be accountable. Number two, told you they were brief. Two, we must remember our calling. We must remember our identity in Christ. Paul reminds Timothy right here, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, he's been called. Timothy has been confirmed. Hey, This is your calling. You go pastor this church. You go do this. We must be reminded of that as well. Our identity is in Christ. If we are followers of Jesus, this is our calling. This is not just written to pastors. Fight the good fight. We must all engage in this battle. No one, not one single human being that has ever been called to follow Christ is called to be a believer who is not also a missionary somewhere. No believer has ever been called to be a believer who is not called to be an evangelist and share the gospel with people. No one, not one person has ever been called to be a disciple who isn't also called to make disciples. We have to get that. This is our identity. We must engage in this battle. This is our calling. We must remember it, embrace it, and live it. Three, We must hold to sound doctrine. This is what we discussed at length earlier. This will lead us to be accountable. This will lead us to remember our calling. This will lead us to live obedient lives. Hold to sound doctrine. We must know God's Word. Same thing. No one has ever been called to be a believer in Christ and not called to be a biblical scholar. And I I don't use that word loosely. You should know God's Word. Obviously, some people are going to know it better than others. Obviously, God's going to gift that some people with just being able to discern it and parse it out and teach it and to use the big words like hypostatic union and all that. Some of you are like, I don't even know what that means. Like, some of these things, okay? Fine. That does not alleviate your responsibility to know what God's Word said as best you possibly can with the giftedness, the knowledge, the intelligence, all of those things that God has given you. We must know God's Word. Some of you, the next step in your biblical scholarship is pick it up and open it. And just read it a little bit. Five minutes a day. That'd be a step up. Some of you, you're already doing an hour long. Okay? Find other ways to get... You will never plumb the depths of this Word. You will never plumb the depths of who God is. So why stop? Keep reading it. Keep reading it. May you grow to love this like Paul loves these words. We must be students of the Word the rest of our lives we will be like these men that Paul mentions here that have made shipwreck of their faith. We will be led astray into every wind of doctrine and to and fro and culture will tell us what to think and it'll sound good and it'll sound believable and we'll go that way. We must be students of the word. I heard an old, old, old and I don't know how old he was but dude was old. Old Christian man. Tell my dad who's getting older himself. Uh, my dad once. He said, some days I read my Bible because I want to. Other days I read my Bible until I want to. Should pick it up, read it. Let God do what God's going to do with God's Word. Pick it up, read it. We must be students of the Word. Number four, we must be holy. We just talked about this as well. There is no such thing as a disobedient Christian. Y'all are like, but I just disobeyed like five minutes ago when my brain went somewhere else while you were talking. There is no such thing as a. There is sorry. There is such thing as a Christian who disobeys, but if your mar- life is marked by disobedience, you might want to check to make sure you're truly a Christian and not just a a moralist, or someone who follows the rules really good or knows the words of Scripture, but you're not really living it. And you may be thinking to yourself, "How can you make such a broad, sweeping statement like that?" I can't. First John three four through nine. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that He appeared in order to take away sins, and in Him there is no sin. No one who abides in Him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen Him or known Him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. I didn't make that up. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. I didn't make that up. That's in God's word. Here's where knowing God's word matters. We cannot justify our sin. Cannot make excuses for our sin. Well, everybody sins while we're planning our next one. No, Whoever keeps on sinning and makes excuses for sinning is of the devil. Again, I didn't make that up. I'm not saying you're the devil. You're just of the devil. Does that make it any better? I don't know. Obedience does not purchase our salvation but it clearly matters to God. Clearly. It clearly matters that we are saying we're believers and that our belief leads to action and obedience. It must. We must be holy. Fifth, we must be humble. What do I mean? We see here Hymenaeus. Yeah, y'all thought I didn't know how to pronounce that guy's name, right? Hymenaeus and Alexander. But the reason we see Paul given verse 19 for their faith being shipwrecked. Why? Because they weren't humble. They were arrogant. They rejected these truths. That's what it says specifically. They thought they knew everything. Well, you got this figured out. We don't need you anymore. We don't need to be accountable. We don't need to remember our calling. We don't need to be obedient and know the Word. We got this. I've met so many, mostly in seminary, people like this. They think they've got it all figured out. They know every last detail of God's Word when they don't, but they think they do and they want to engage you in it and always want to start an argument. And I'm like, I just want to love Jesus. I don't know like, what you're arguing about. But we must be humble. We must be teachable at all times. They rejected that, the good fight for truth and practice. They were not humble enough to realize they don't know everything. We must remain teachable once we have lost the ability to be teachable, once we have lost the ability to learn anything new or to have someone tell us, hey man, you're not exactly living out what you're claiming to live out here and we can't humbly accept that without getting red-faced and yelling at them. Once we have lost that, we are close to losing the Gospel altogether. Because at that point, what are you relying on? When you get mad at someone for pointing out your sin and justify and make excuses, what are you really relying on to be saved? Your goodness. So when someone comes at your goodness, what do you do? Oh, no, no, no. We're going to fight over this. Because that's where your identity really is. Whereas if our identity is in Christ and in the Gospel and someone says, hey man, you're sinning. What? I don't want to do that. Tell me how. Now, we may have, you may have to parse out exactly how I'm sinning because it may not be a sin. It may just be preference. But if you're not willing to at least engage in the discussion, to be humble enough to go, you know what? I might be sinning and I need someone to tell me that. Check yourself, because you might be relying on yourself for your salvation. Six, we must be honest. Now, we've already discussed being honest with ourselves, so that is absolutely included in this. But we also must be willing to make unpleasant decisions or say unpleasant things. This is something I struggle with to this day. Getting better at it. Thank you, Program Living. But be willing to rebuke them when needed. To tell them the truth when they need to hear it. Be willing to submit to the pastor's for discipline if necessary. This is what we see Paul doing here. He has turned Hymenaeus and Alexander over to Satan, but why? Not just to punish them. Not to spank them and send them on their way. No, so they may learn not to blaspheme. This is not just punishment. It is discipline in the hopes that the discipline will teach them to hold fast to these truths. This is in the hopes that the Spirit will convict them of their sin. They will confess, repent, Christ Jesus is faithful and just to forgive them of those sins and they can be welcomed back in. Now we see later in this letter that doesn't seem to have happened at that point when they talk about him again, but beside the point, that's the goal. That's it's not to get back at them or to revenge, to get revenge. It is in the hopes that they will turn in repentance. But no one's going to turn in repentance if we're unwilling to tell them the unpleasant truths of their sin. This is not making an excuse for gossip. That's also a sin. This is not making an excuse for tattletales. This is not making an excuse for every last little thing. You're just going to be a jerk over because you're going to get your way, on it. That's not what this is talking about. But when you see someone sinning, it is sinful for you to keep just allowing them to walk in sin. Jude verse 23, there's only one chapter. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire to others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. This tells us to hate the garment even stained by sin. Hate sin so much that you are allergic to it. I hate sin. But it tells us right before that that we must do all that we can to snatch a person out of the fire. So we see someone living a sinful lifestyle. It is not loving to go, well, it looks like they're having a good time. They're really finding their identity. They're driving their car off a cliff and you're right there and you can go, hey... There's a cliff up here and you go, it looks like they're having a good time. They're listening to their favorite song. The wind's whipping in their hair. Let them drive off the cliff. That is not loving and it is sinful for you to allow them to do so. Now there's a respectful and loving way to do it. Read Matthew 18. We don't have time to go into that. But ask them to seek repentance. They will either turn away from you and break relationship with you, but that's on them because you've done what God has called you to do. You must stand on truth. God's truth tells us to call sin sin. We must be willing to do that. If they break relationship with you, hopefully that will do exactly what he says here. And they will learn not to blaspheme. They will come back. They will reconcile with you, with the church, all of those things. But it may be that they go, I had no idea that I was doing this. I am sorry. They're called blind spots for a reason because we don't see them. Someone else needs to bring them up to us and go, hey, have you noticed that you do this? Nope. But now I'm going to try to change it. Will you help me? That's what we're shooting for. Those are the two responses they can give that does not alleviate your responsibility to tell them. Because we don't know how someone's going to react. Well, they might react this way, so I'm not going to say anything. No, no, no. Go into it, embrace it. You must be honest, respectfully, lovingly, but honest. Okay? This is discipleship. Someone claims to be a Christian, they should have the desire to live more like Jesus every day. It is our responsibility as other Christians. To try to help them do that. This is how disciples are made. This is how we can feel, fulfill the call to wage the good warfare. This is how we fight the good fight. This is how we finish the race. You cannot fight the good fight without knowing the truth and what you're fighting for. You cannot finish the race alone. You cannot finish the race without remembering who you are in Christ and what He has called us to do. So We must be doing all of these things. We will be imperfect at them. Because Christ was perfect at them. That is why we attempt to do them. That is why we live out these six points. That is why we try to be honest with ourselves and with others. While we remember our calling. While we try to leave holy lives. Because Christ already did. And it is to point others to the one who already fulfilled his, his righteousness, his holiness. He lived a perfect life. We live as perfectly as we can to point people to him who lived perfectly. And the one who forgives us when we mess it up. So may this text, may this truth, may God's Word lead us to wage the good warfare against sin in our own lives and in others, against unbelief when we see a non-Christian we share the Gospel with them because this is the truth that will save them, against laziness, against fear, against apathy. May we wage the good warfare by going and telling more and more and more and more people about the battle that has already been won. All they have to do at this point is join the winning side of the battle. The fight's already taken place. This does not mean their life will be easy. Any of those things. I always feel like i got to throw that in. That's not what we're preaching. We already know who wins. We already know the winning side. Just ask them to pick up the armor, engage in the battle, and know that victory is ensured. They were able to fight from a position of victory because Christ has already won the war. This is the only battle worth fighting. This is the only cause truly worth fighting for. The gospel truth. It's the only thing worth fighting for. The only one worth fighting for is Jesus. So let this be our battle cry today, Mission Church, and may we go into this battle together, arm in arm, hand in hand, like the Spartans of 300, knowing we have already won the war because Jesus has defeated sin, Satan, and death for us. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for being sufficient in and of yourself, your word being.